Hey gang, thanks for joining here on the second episode of Mindset Body Bank. Uh, today is my first interview. Uh, I have a very special guest, uh, old friend of mine, Graham Bonner. Uh, we go back uh, over 25, maybe 30 years, I guess, back to our, um, our hockey days. A little background on my buddy Bones, um, drafted in 1982, uh, third overall in the first round by the Windsor Spitfires in the OHL Junior Draft. A couple years later in 1984, the Montreal Canadiens picked him up, 54th overall in the third round. Bones had a bright future, everybody knew it. He was a big, tough um, forward who had soft hands and could score goals. Uh, unfortunately, he ran into um, some injuries. Uh, those injuries led to him taking, um, you know, painkillers, which um, uh, allowed him to continue playing, but not at the level that he was accustomed to. He never really got back into that form and started using alcohol and drugs as a coping mechanism. Uh, unfortunately, at that level, you get traded and you get pushed aside and you're treated like a piece of meat. Uh, fast forward 10 years from that point and um, Bones had kind of hit rock bottom, um, started contemplating life and death. Um, spoiler alert for the end of the show here is that, yeah, Bones chose life, thank God. Um, changed his mindset, invested in himself, in his body and health, nutrition, and uh, actually found his true gift. So uh, without giving it all away, um, let me bring on my good friend, who I'm very grateful to have here with me today, Graham Bonner. you coming in today and, uh, and spending a little bit of time with me uh, here at Mindset Body Bank. Um, you know, it's uh, been a while since I've seen you. Um, you know, we were able to connect and, uh, uh, it, you know, I, uh, I think that there's some synergies that kind of bring people back together. Um, you know, I believe that, uh, you know, everybody's journey takes them in different paths and uh, I'm so happy to reconnect with you here today. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Rob. It's been, I, I think we're figured out, you know, it's been a, a, probably well, more than 20 years since we've seen each other, but it doesn't seem that long, so it's, it's an honor. I'm really proud of you for getting started on this, so I'm just happy to be here. Yeah, it's funny that you say that, you know, uh, for us being ex-hockey players, it's such a small world, and it's really great that, you know, after such, such a period of time in between, we can kind of just you know, connect through this fantastic magic they call social media these days and uh, the, the powers of Facebook and reconnect with old friends and um, and kind of pick up where we left off and fill in some of the gaps. But, well, you're uh, good with your social media. I'm still trying to figure out my Walkman from back in the <laughs> 80s <laughs> that we used to use on the buses. But uh, technology, okay, you go with Facebook, I'm fine with, but that's as far as the technology yeah. goes. But, well, uh, we're going to have to get you on Instagram because apparently that's the one that's uh, up and coming. And uh, I think that uh, Snapchat is what all the kids are using. I stay away from that personally, but um, 
Right. We'll we'll uh, we'll we'll stick with Facebook and and we'll uh, drive some people to a podcast and hopefully they'll get something out of this today. Well, apparently Facebook's for old people. I'm just glad they didn't have social media around in the 80s and the 90s when we were doing our thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are we gonna have, we're gonna share those stories? <laughs> well, I don't know where we're going. We'll just roll this out. <laughs> and, and don't call us old people. I know, and by number wise, it, we may appear that way, but uh, I certainly don't feel it anymore. Well, I don't feel old, so uh, you look great, buddy. Thank. Thank you. I'm so happy to have you here today. So let's uh, let's start off. Um, just give the listeners a little background. Okay. Um, you, you know, I know I was born in Mimico. Yep. Played a little minor hockey and what is now the GTHL. We used to call it the the MTHL. That's right. Um, share a little bit about uh, about growing up in Mimico. Growing up in Mimico. Oh, well, in Mimico we have three places there. We've got the Blue Goose Tavern. We've got Mimico Arena, and we got Hogel's Funeral Parlor. Ironically. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's a very, very proud, proud neighborhood that's rich in not just history, but just um, a, a proud neighborhood with, with, with great people. I mean, um, my grandparents immigrated there, actually from Mimical Creek. Um, a lot of people don't know, it's actually called Bonner Creek at the top of it, named after my grandparents. So oh. that's uh, they came over you know, early 1900s. So. Um, Must have been a few of them coming over if they got it named after them. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was uh, there a lot of stories about Bonner Creek, and the Bonner stories continued to uh, to resurface for years after that. Compliments of uh, yours truly, right here. So we'll just well, leave it at that for now. <laughs> well, somebody's got to carry on that tradition, right? Yeah, there you go. The name. Good mm-hmm. for you. Um, play a little hockey in the city. Yes, I, I grew up playing uh, hockey at Faustina, actually. Um, <clears throat> Ended up uh, with the Marlies, but um, lacrosse actually was was my favorite game, and Mimico is still very rich. Um, another another famous family from Mimico with the last name Shanahan. That's correct. Yeah, that's Big, correct. Uh, hockey and lacrosse players there. Yeah, a great family. Grew up with uh, playing with with all of them. You know, Danny, Brian, um, Sean, and I think there's a guy named Brendan. Brendan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah For yeah. those of you people listening, and if you're not hockey fans, uh, Brendan Shanahan is a uh, uh, hockey Hall of Famer, uh, had a great NHL career, um, family very steep in the Mimico area, and uh, also a big sports and lacrosse family. And uh, Today, Brendan gets to boast the title of uh, uh, president of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs. That's right. Um, and he's from our generation, if you want to call us old guys, and uh, mm-hmm. from the streets of Mimico where, uh, where Bones grew up. Yeah, yeah, and ironically, his mother just had a birthday the last week. I saw Danny posted it on Facebook for, for us old people that uh, came up. She's originally from Belfast, um, and a lot of my family came over from Belfast as well in, in Ireland. So there's some ties there. And Mimico as well. So, and, and for anybody listening that's uh, not from the Toronto area, um, Mimico just a little bit east of this uh, or west of the city of Toronto, uh, east of where we are today. We're yeah. sitting in uh, Mississauga, Ontario, and uh, kind of a tough neighborhood. Mimico? <laughs> well, it depends who you're talking to. <laughs> it's funny. A lot of people think that, or if, if you're not from neighborhood, but I think neighborhoods that are close. Um, you know, sometimes they may get stereotyped a little bit. Um, I mean, growing up there, we didn't know any difference. I mean, we, we played ball hockey, we played lacrosse, we played baseball, we, we played soccer, we did all those things. And of course, we all met, ended up meeting up at the Blue Goose Tavern, which ironically just closed a year ago. They're supposed to be rebuilding it. But um, no, there's a lot of pride in the Mako, a lot of great, not just great athletes, but a lot of great people. 
came from that area. So, uh, you know, I keep mentioning the word pride and proud. So the yeah. medical listeners will, you know, they'll jump out with that. Their heart's probably jumping right now. Well, so. well hopefully you can help promote us in the medical area, right? Well, that'll be going on. We even had our own jail for years, too, <laughs> right? So a couple of people out there might have done some weekends at the old medical jail. I remember the old medical jail. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So you're playing hockey at the Marlies in the city. Uh, hockey and, and lacrosse are your two sports. Um, you, you know, uh, talk a little bit about your, your minor hockey days just before you got into junior hockey and what that experience was like as you uh, were heading into the draft. And I think you were, you were an underage? Yeah, I was an underage draft. I, <clears throat> like I said, I started off with Faustine and ended up uh, moving to uh, playing with the Marlies from Adam to Badham. Um, and then from there, I, I actually moved up and played a year at the old Metro Junior B with Henry Carr Crusaders. I know a few Henry Carr guys. Uh, yeah, some Henry Carr, a um, lot of great Henry Carr friends. So there was a tradition of a couple of biblical guys that went to Henry Carr as well. I had a fantastic um, experience in Henry Carr. And then I was drafted in the first round uh, from Henry Carr, actually to Windsor, Windsor Spitfires, where I started off my career as, as an underage, you know, 15, 16 years old, moving away from home for the first time. And then I ended up in the Sioux. Uh, and just for, again, anybody listening who's not a hockey fan uh, or not familiar, being drafted as an underage into the OHL is, um, is quite an honor. Uh, it doesn't happen to a lot of players. Uh, it's, I, I don't know what it is today or how that works, but back then, I believe, uh, you had to go in the first two rounds? Or was it just the first round as an underage? And uh, I, I, you had to be given a particular status to, to yeah, get that? Yeah, they have the exceptional status now. I'm not sure the particulars. I mean, I'd have to go back and check that out. But I think you're, you're right, and I had to be definitely in the first two rounds uh, as an underage. Which basically, you know, Bones is being humble, but he was fucking good. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to go, to go as an underage, as a 15-year-old in a draft with uh, mostly 16-year-olds into a league that's filled with uh, players that are – uh, primarily 17, 18, 19, and Why a few 20-year-olds. 20 20 20 yeah. um, you know, it's um, it, you got to be uh, a very talented and exceptional to be able to make that leap from uh, being a 14, 15-year-old into the uh, into the OHL. So, um, it, you know, now you get to the OHL, you're uh, you're an underage, you go to Windsor. What's that experience like for uh, for Graham? Well, first day, first year away from home, it's uh, it's tough. You know, it's, um, you're going from somewhere, I, I mean, ironically, when I, I was at Henry Carr, I was 14, 15, playing with 19, 20-year-olds as well. Um, so that gave you a little bit of an experience. Yeah, the experience, but I was still living at home then too, right, Rob, so right. you have to be mindful of that. Um, I led the league in points that year. At, uh, our, our team in points, I think I was second in, in, uh, in the, the Metro Junior B, so I mean, there was a lot of success at an early age, and there was a lot of expectations going, going to Windsor. Um, and at that particular time, um, Hockey Hall of Famer Marcel Pronovo was the coach, who was a gentleman. Um, uh, things didn't go well in Windsor the first year. Great hockey town, um, great people, but they were in some financial problems at the time. And my first year in Windsor didn't work out that well, which led to me actually being traded the next year to the Sioux, which doesn't often happen with first-rounders at that particular time because you can't... Um, trade them after the, it has to be after their first, first year, year, but I ended up moving up to the Sioux. 
after my first year. And I think most people that uh, that are familiar with you recognize you and, and associate you with your time at the Sioux. That's right. I know right. even myself being an old friend, I completely forgot about Windsor until I was, yeah. you know, going on to Google and checking your stats and seeing, yeah. oh, fuck, I forgot this guy was drafted by Windsor. Yeah, I, I loved Windsor, but uh, the first year, you know, some things you want to put in the past. As much as I loved the experience, the numbers weren't there, so sometimes you do shine in different places. And I had a, you know, but Sue holds a very, very special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a big part of your legacy, I think. You know, anything, you, if, you, if you Google Graham, it's, uh, there's Yeah, there's the Greyhounds pop up, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and you guys had a great run. I think it was, what, in 84, 85? Yeah, eight, 85 is uh, the one record we still have. The, the anniversary of that is actually, if it, we've been, some um, people have been posting stuff. Um, it's been 35 years since we had the perfect season. Um, we won the Ontario Championship that year, and we went 33-0 and at home. Um, that record still stands, and, you know, I'll be a little bit biased or humble, however you want to say. I don't see that record ever being broken. To go through a whole OHL season and not losing a game at home is, is something we were very, very proud of. And we won the OHL Championship that year. Yeah. That's a, I mean, you think about that, not losing a game at home. Uh, mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a pretty incredible feat. Uh, yeah. Talk about some of the guys that were on that team that you shared the ice in the locker room with. Uh, might be a few names that, uh, that some people may be able to, uh, to recognize. Yeah, it, it, it was a special bunch. I mean, there was um, a guy named Jeff Bukaboom who went, into, went a couple Stanley Cups with uh, Edmonton. And uh, he definitely won one, I think, in New, York, in New York with the Rangers as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Wayne Gruel, who played, a, you know, had a cup of coffee with the Quebec Nordiques. There's Derek King, Wayne Presley, Chris Felix. Um, who played with the national team. Um, Ken Sabrin with uh, the Calgary Flames. Terry Chris <coughs> was our coach who played with the Broad Street Bullies in the 70s, if you want to go a little bit farther back. Um, Mike Oliverio. Um, the names just go on and on. I don't know if I mentioned Rob Zettler. Uh, Brett Peer, Chris Brandt, some guys that um, you know, had cups of coffee with different NHL organizations. And, um, you know, my old roommate, Bob Probert, who holds a very special place uh, in, my, in, our, in my heart. That year, there was Wayne Gruel, Bob, and myself. Um, we had a pretty good line that year. I had 66 goals. I led the league. Wayne had 59, and Bob had 22. We got a little bit of room out there with Bob skating down on the left side. You yeah. know, I think, I think of all the names now, you know, I'm a hockey guy, so I associate with some of those names, and I know them because mm -hmm. that was sort of my era. I was a little bit behind you. I'm not going to say you're older, but uh, we'll leave it at that. Um, and, and I looked up uh, to, to those guys as I was starting to make my progression in, uh, in my career and heading through minor hockey and into the O, so these are names that I'm familiar with. But the name Bobby Probert, I mean, uh, I think anybody that's watched hockey in the last uh, half century would know that name. Um, certainly made his, his, uh, his, well, his fist made a name for himself on the ice, um, you know, at the NHL level. What was Bobby like, um, you know, uh, playing junior with him, having him on your line? Well, it was a lot easier. It was a lot easier playing with them than it was playing against them, I'll tell you that. I know that quote comes up a few times. We actually picked him up in a trade. I played against him for two years. He was with the old Brantford Alexanders. Um, and Bob was a special breed. They don't make players like that anymore. I mean, the NHL is a little different. Um, it's a different game. I mean, we are talking about that earlier, Rob. I mean, 
He had 29 goals in 398 minutes one year. So, I mean, that's one goal off of 30 and two off of 400. You put the numbers together. Um, it's a pretty special player. Yeah, he's pretty special it, it, and, and a better and a better person. Yeah. A, a better person. I, I miss Bob very, very dearly. Sometimes I, the feelings still still come up, but um, I can still see his smile. You know, he's, yeah. he, when Bob came into a room, Bob was in the room. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty special. Yeah. I can see it. Um, those are the kind of relationships you uh, you build in a sport, um, you know, hockey or football or whatever your particular sport is. And you, you know, it's funny. Um, recently, I was watching on uh, on Instagram. Um, I, I happened to be at the Leafs game recently, where they uh, they put that Zamboni driver in net uh, for Carolina. And there was a scene after in the locker room that made it to the media. Maybe you saw it. Yeah, where, I saw uh, that. <clears throat> where Rod Brindamore, who uh, is somebody I played against, mm -hmm. um, walked into the room. And his comment really stuck out to me. And he looked around, praised the goaltender, um, you know, and the guys in the team. You know, ultimately, they won the game. They beat the Leafs. The goaltender was, you know, a... Um, uh, an exciting part of it and, it, and it and it creates something for the media to talk about. But he looked around the room and he said, he goes, these are the moments that right. you have to remember. He goes, because when you're mm -hmm. done playing, this is what you're going to look back on. That's and right. these are the times that you're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. Not whether you won or lost the game, but moments like that. Yeah, well, and so mm -hmm. moments like that that you've experienced, you know, playing junior with a, with a person like a, a Bob Probert, mm -hmm. um, pretty special, I yeah. would imagine. Yeah, m most definitely. I mean, and Bob's name comes up, uh, you know, an awful lot. Um, but I, I think the most important thing is um, Bob, Bob was a good person. He had his ba battles on and off the ice, um, but he was a great player as well. P people who, you know, see the fight films, they don't realize what soft hands he had for a big man. And in the hockey world, when we talk about soft hands, that's something you can't teach. You can teach somebody to be better defensively or a stronger skater, but um, when you have soft hands, and I may be a little biased to that because I, I have soft hands, but putting the biscuit in the basket, which means putting the puck in the net, um, you can't teach that. And Bob had that skill as well. Yeah, and it's, it's unfortunate sometimes, you know, you get pigeonholed with a reputation and a role. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, it, you know, people like yourself are, are able to share the memories of what really Bob Probert was like, not just a pugilist, mm -hmm. but the fact that he did have soft hands. I think we sometimes skip over the fact that somebody like Bob did play in an NHL All-Star game. You don't get there just being a fighter. You know, you have to have a little bit of skill. And, and it could put the puck in the net. And then when the story goes, when he walked in the room at the All-Star game, it was people wanting to have a picture taken with him. And, you know, and we're talking about guys like Messier and Gretzky. It wasn't Bob running up saying, can I get a picture take with you, Wayne, or with you, Mark? They were saying, hey, can I get a picture taken with the big guy? So that travels. That says an awful lot about the person and the energy, like I said earlier, that he brings, brings and brought to a room. Pretty neat. Pretty neat experience. So, so Bones, let's go back. And thank you for sharing that about Bob. I think, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, hopefully some of the listeners will be able to, uh, to relate to that. Let's talk about yourself. You know, you come in as an underage in Windsor. You get traded the next year to the Sioux. Um, you, you know, what were you feeling? What were you thinking? You know, you, you mentioned, uh, you used the word earlier, expectations. Mm -hmm. You know, um, share a little bit about what the hockey world and management and how that played into, you know, what we're going to talk about.
talk about as we as we explore, you know, a little further down the journey of, of Graham Bonner. Um, how did you feel, you know, when you stepped on the ice as a young 15-year-old and, and, you know, share some of that with us? Well, you, you go through different feelings and, um, you know, there's a lot of nervousness, there's excitement. Um, Unfortunately, when you're that age, it's, um, you have support around you, but you don't. So you have these expectations, and when the expectations aren't met, you're put into a world with men, even though you know, we're only teenage boys. The OHL in Tarot Hockey League is the number one place of places people in the NHL. And the OHL cities take their hockey seriously, and um, they'll let you know if you're not performing. If you are performing, it's a great place to be. If you're not performing, it can be a, a tough place to be. And Windsor was tough the first year because they're a very, very proud team. Um, getting traded to the Sioux was, was the best thing that happened to me. It was a winning organization. Sam McMaster was a GM. They had a strong hockey tradition. And the Sioux is a big, tough town. It was, uh, I mean, when I say big, I mean, you know, there's 80,000 people there and everyone knows who the Greyhounds are up there. And it's cold and the steel mill's pumping out uh, steam. And teams that came up there, we used to call it the Sioux Flu, because teams used to think they were tough and they'd come into our building and you couldn't find them with a search warrant. Now, I mean, we had tough teams, but we had very, very talented teams, and the fans had those expectations. And if you didn't show up, they'd let you know. It didn't matter that Graham Bonner scored five goals the night before. If he didn't show up the next night, that didn't matter. Um, that's a lot of pressure for, for teenage kids. Um, however, you know, wherever you end up being, but the experiences, you are talking earlier with Rob Brindamore, you remember them for your whole life because there were so many special experiences. What does that do to, you know, a young kid though? How do you, how do you cope with that? Obviously you don't have the, the skills or the mindset as a, a 15, 16 or 17 year old. You might have some guys in the room that uh, that are you know quote unquote leaders, but they're still young men, you know. And um, you know you're billeted. Mm -hmm. You have some time. You're a celebrity in a small town. You've got these expectations. Sometimes you're on a high. You're riding that high. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you're riding that low. Right. You know. And I'm sure that there's all kinds of temptations that are being thrown your way. Mm -hmm. How does Graham deal with that? Well, yeah, I guess it depends on the moment. I mean, you are away from home for the first time, and of course there's temptations, like what you said, and you are celebrities, because, it, you know, especially in the Sioux, that's the number one game in the town. I mean, Toronto Maple Leafs are, you know, eight hours away, Detroit Red Wings are six hours away, but the Sioux Greyhounds are the number one team in town. Um, when you're away from home, you can become homesick. Um, and, you know... When things are going well, they're going well. But, I mean, temptations do come up. I mean, there, there's lots of things that um, normal teenagers go through, but the only difference is you're under a microscope when you're there because everyone knows who you are. So if you're out doing something, if you're at a bowling alley, they know that Graham Bonner and Bob Probert and Wayne Gruel are at the bowling alley. If, if they're having a beer when they're 18 or 19 years old, the next day in the paper, they, were, they had 30 beers, whatever it may be. You live under a microscope. now. We do get a little bit of education on it, um, you know, to be careful. But I mean, hey, we're teenage kids, we're away from home. Um, you know, 
hormones are going, life is changing, it's, it's, it's life, you know, and everything's new, you know, um, but those are memories, you know, and it's, I don't even know where to go in that direction, I see you smiling over there, so it's, um, they're very, very, very special memories. Catch you on that. <laughs> um, you know, Bones, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to dig and I'm going to scratch, and you, you share what you want to share. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, as you, as you, and I can speak to my own experiences. You know, um, I did, I chose not to go to the OHL. I chose the college route. I played, um, you know, uh, a year of junior B in the Metro League, and um, you know, I, I know I. You know, I, I did what all the other guys were doing. I got into beer, mm -hmm. uh, started uh, mostly with uh, alcohol at a young age, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I enjoyed drinking. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, uh, as I, my, some of my own experiences, um, as I started to progress up the ranks, if you will, um, I started to use alcohol uh, to cope. You know, um, when I was sent down to the East Coast League or when I had trouble uh, at university after I broke my hand my first year, I had a lot of time on my hands mm -hmm. and I drank right. and, um, and I was angry and I didn't understand what was going on and nobody talked to me. Right. Nobody told me, you know, hey, just stay focused and come out. Um, the U.S. college experience may be a little bit different than the OHL. Mm -hmm. We had a ton of guys. There was always somebody to insert in the lineup, right. and you know I was coming in as a as a young freshman. Mm -hmm. You know, some <laughs> guys were coming in as twenty and twenty one year old freshmen. I was eighteen. Mm -hmm. You know, just graduated high school, probably not physically mature enough to to be there. Probably could have used another year. So I know some of my own experiences um, were you know I would fall back on relieving some of this pain by interacting. You know off the ice socially and probably sometimes irresponsibly. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, no, no I, I, I get it. I mean, in Canada, I mean, a Saturday night without hockey night in Canada, it's, it's, it's hockey and, and alcohol. Of course, there, there, was, there was alcohol involved. And I mean, used, you know, it used to be a saying, win or lose, hit the booze, however it may be. <laughs> now, hockey players don't know that term. I mean, and I, I don't think like it, it's very much, you know, a, a big secret. But yeah, I mean, you use beer to celebrate. You use beer to, to take the pain away. Um, you got to remember playing in the Sioux, our closest trip was four hours away. And we were talking about this earlier, um, which was such. Uh, yeah, you spent a lot of time on the bus. Um, and after the game, yeah, of course there was the, the, there was a lot of temptations. There was a lot of you know a lot of alcohol use, um, whatever it may be. However, when it came time to show up. You know, you, you showed up. Sure. Yeah, you know, I mean, w there was um, curfews at 11 o'clock. Not saying that none of those didn't get, <laughs> get broken once in a while, but um, Terry Chris ran a pretty strict ship up there. Um, and, you know, you get a uh, phone call at 11 o'clock. If you weren't in, you were in trouble. Um, and some of us did get into some trouble. Yeah. You know, however it may be. But um, when you're winning games and putting fans in the seats and you know, breaking records and being in first place and being the number one in team in Canada, sometimes those things are excused. When things are good, things are good. Right. Right, so. It's a great way to put it. Yeah. It sometimes it, it, gets sweeped under the carpet, right? Yeah, well, of course it does. I mean, and that leads into, 
Um, you know, when things go on down the line, I mean, um, I live a life in recovery now today, but I mean, that, that was the, kind of the building of my alcoholism at that particular time, not knowing, because at that time there were still great memories. Sure. Great yeah, memories. Absolutely. I mean, alcohol, um, was a part having of the fun, game. It, it was very much a part of the game, a part of the culture, and there was nothing wrong with it. Right, right. Right. So, so Bones, it's, it's uh, you know, you go third overall in the OHL draft as an underage, a uh, year and a half, two years in Windsor, you're in the Sioux now, you guys are having a great year, I think your draft year was 84. That's correct. And, um, you know, in the past, so somebody that would be an underage first rounder, was there an expectation of where you were going to go in your draft year? In the NHL draft. In the NHL draft. <laughs> I mean, you wind up going third round, 54th overall to, yeah. Yeah. to Montreal. Was, were you expected to go higher? Was there an expectation there? What was, what was leading up to the draft? The NHL draft was a letdown for me. Uh, I, yeah, I have to be honest because I, I had gone into the draft rated you know, very high in the first round, but my draft year wasn't, uh, wasn't my strongest year. Yeah. I went to a team in the Sioux at that particular time after a transition year in Windsor um, to, with a team with veterans, and I was a goal scorer, and um, my draft year, I didn't put um, the numbers, the numbers on, the, on the scoreboard as well as that would. Now, being drafted 54th overall in 1984 is still something to be very, very impressive. You know, it's a, a lot of people um, would be happy with that, and I wasn't disappointed, but for me and where I was rated, I think that the scouts at that particular time said I was a bit of a bust, ironically. So that's something that plays upon your mind too. But I mean, I, I got to go to Montreal, my first um, training camp in 1984, and I came back in the next year. All of a sudden, how things changed, I was to steal the draft. So it, it's funny how things go. Well, you go from 40 points to 137 points yeah. in one year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. What happened? You grow wings and uh, yeah, just, no, uh, it's, it's it's confidence. It's it's, it's, confidence. It's, it's it's immaturity, confidence, a different role. That happens to a lot of underagers in in the OHL sometimes. I mean, you um, all of a sudden you're you're not playing 32 minutes a game. You're you're playing 12 minutes a game, um, depending on what team you're at, what role you're used. Um, you you know you're you're learning your craft. You know, basically, not too many guys step into the league as as a rookie. And, uh, and dominate. Those ones are, are very, very, very special. For sure, right? for sure. Well, the, the guy that happened to go number one your year was uh, uh, some guy by the name of Mario Lemieux. Yeah, I never heard of him. Yeah, yeah I never heard of him. Some French kid, apparently. Yeah, yeah. okay. Class act, class <laughs> act for sure. Strong draft year. I was just uh, going through it this morning, looking at uh, some of the names. Um, incredible draft year. So, I mean, for you to even be tossed around in the first, uh, your name being tossed around for that first round, God, uh, it, you know, uh, exciting and, and certainly special to be included in a group of players like that. Yeah. So now it, it, you get drafted, maybe it's a little bit later than you thought. You called it a bust. What does that do to you mentally? How do you rebound from that? What do you do going into camp? How, what are you thinking? What's the off-season like for Graham? Well, the off-season is, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, I mean. Do you wallow in it? Do you just say, fuck it, I'm going to dig in? How do, you, how do you deal with that? Well, well, you start digging in. I mean, you want to prove people wrong because you know the player that you are. And maybe that was a wake-up call for myself as well, you know, because um, going into the camp in Montreal, Mon Montreal was still a powerhouse back then. Um, when I went to training camp, I looked there. It was Guy Lafleur, what, what was uh, was in Montreal. 
Mario Tremblay was on, the, and I was was there. Larry Robinson, Bob Gainey, um, Pierre Mondu. These guys have won four or five Stanley Cups. Um, there's in the draft. There was Stefan Richer. There was Shane Corson. Uh, there was Patrick Waugh. There was Claude Lemieux. Montreal was very, very rich. Mark, a guy named Mark Hunter. Uh, London Knight fans know who, who he is. Um, um, if you want to play, you got to dig down. And um, my first experience in Montreal um, gave me a lot of experience. I just took that with the ball rolling, and that ended up to one of my biggest years of, of hockey. It's amazing, you know, for somebody that age. You know, it's tough for, and people don't always realize that, you know, that you're, you know, you're still a, a 18 year old kid, 19 yeah. years old, mm -hmm. right? Your mind hasn't fully developed yet. You're, you're, you have these expectations that are put upon you. You know, you're projecting yourself and other people are saying, hey, Bones, you know, you're a top three pick in the UHL. You're going to be a guaranteed first rounder and it doesn't happen. Just being able to rebound from that, mm -hmm. coming back out, digging in, as you say, in the off season, mm -hmm. um, you know, changing your mindset so that you, you, you don't play victim, but you got now something to prove, right? Mm -hmm. Using that, that as fuel to move yourself and propel yourself forward. Well, that's, that, that's sports in general. I, I mean, that's the way it is. I mean, you'd be mo motivated. I mean, you can go from being a bit of a disappointment to a steal all within, you know, one season. So, I mean, that's what sports is all about, is about proving yourself. And, um, I mean, I had a great team. I mean, I had a lot, lot of support around me. But I, th I think the biggest thing was getting to an NHL camp, getting that experience. But most importantly was getting the confidence back. I knew I had the skill. It happened. Yeah. Right? It happened. So. You get drafted. You go to your first camp. Um, you wind up getting traded to Peterborough. That was my last year. That was my last year. We had the big year in the Sioux. Um, we beat Peterborough in the final the year before. Um, we lost 17 players. So uh, anyone knows about anything about hockey, the trade deadline, if your team is rebuilding, then you get traded to a different team. So I ended up in Peterborough my, my last year of junior. And um, we came up short that year. We were um, picked to win. And uh, a team from Belleville just down the road actually knocked us off. So, but I had a great experience in Peterborough. Really great experience. Strong hockey town. Uh, it has always been. We were just talking offline here. At, uh, a good friend of ours is now the head coach there. We uh, certainly wish Robbie Wilson. Big, big holler out for Rob Wilson. Yeah, yeah. If he happens, if this somehow winds up in his lap, uh, you know, we wish him all the best and, and all the all the guys that are uh, that are playing there in Peterborough. And we'll keep his stories out of the, uh, the talk today too. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, no, no, that, nothing but love for for, for Rob Wilson. Absolutely, that's for sure. uh, long time old friend of ours. Um, Okay, so, so, you know, now junior hockey's over, these expectations, you're a Canadian. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about what happens when you make that transition, Bones. <coughs> well, one of the biggest things that happened to me, I ran into some injuries. I mean, I was, um, I came into camp the first year in Montreal, I, I, anyone knows what the history of Montreal is, um, almost every number there is retired because of the rich history that they have there. <clears throat> so you end up getting numbers which are 50 and up. My first year in training camp, I was number 50. My second year, I came back and I walked in the dressing room, I was wearing number 29. And 29 was my number in junior. <clears throat> and the last person I believe to wear number 29 was a guy named Ken Dryden. So I walked into Montreal all of a sudden thinking, okay, I've got a spot on this team, I've got a shot. I've had some pretty productive years in, uh, in junior hockey. Um, 
there was high expectations. Montreal, ironically, was struggling with scoring goals, and Graham Bonner was going to be the new guy to, to score goals in, in Montreal. So here we go again, expectations. Here's a kid from Mimico with long hair that's going to come down the right wing and uh, put the biscuit in the basket. Um, injury started happening. <coughs> Blew my ankle out really bad. Um, started the season in Sherbrooke. Um, that's in the that's the American League. Yeah, thank They're you. The farm team for Montreal, and just uh, to keep uh, you non-hockey fans up to speed here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for that, Rob. Yeah, I um, I think I played about eight, eight or twelve games. I'd have to check uh, the stats there, and I, I hurt my hurt my ankle really bad. Um, I came back a little bit too soon, got called up um, to Montreal. We were in Halifax, and I hurt my my ankle that night. Um, so there's it's another. Not a bad yeah, this is a yeah, no, 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 Halifax. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think I spent, I, a, I spent a month there one night. Yeah, yeah, no, no shit on that one. Um, yeah, so I mean, those are one of the breaks there too. You know, pardon the pun, one of sure. the breaks. I blew my ankle out, got called up, couldn't get called up, ended up missing the rest of the season. Blew up my ankle. So I can re I can relate to the injury side. Um, you know, on that uh, one of my experiences, my first year in college. Uh, got in a fight before I even stepped on the ice for training camp, broke my hand, and uh, mm -hmm. missed uh, all but six games my first year. Yeah. And got redshirted, and that was the start of a, probably a mental spiral for myself mm -hmm. that, uh, that took a while for me to dig myself out of. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, now you're, you're going through your minor career, life is happening. Yeah. You know, um, I, th I think one of the biggest things that happened with me was, I mean, I ended up with a couple injuries. We're talking about I broke my hand four or five times, but the biggest thing for myself was my ankle never healed properly. And I was, um, I was a goal scorer. Um, I could always score, but speed was a part of my game. And I was a big guy that could skate, um, but what was happening was I was skating around on one leg. And when you can't perform at the level that is expected not only from your peers, but from you, it can break your heart. Um, and She's saying the expectations you put on yourself? Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. Are, are a, lot, a lot higher than, than what anybody else could put on you. It's to this day. I mean, did, yeah, to this day as a person. I mean, people can say whatever they want, but I've, you know, you, you take pride in who you are as, as a person. Yeah which, you know, I take more pride in today because of the person that I am, but that particular time, when you can't perform at that level, it's tough, you know, and that's, um, that, you know, within two years, you know, Montreal said, thank you very little, you know, you're not going to be able to play with us anymore because you can't skate anymore. Uh, I ended up with the Olympic team for a little while, um, and before you know it, um, it was just like, I could barely walk, never mind skate. Um, so that's where the alcoholism does kick in, right? So, yeah, that's the, uh, it's, you know, you get within about a two and a half hour or two and a half year period, you can go from here to here and, and your career's over. Just with a snap, just like that. Like I can smile about it today because it's part of my journey, sure. but, but in that moment, as a young kid, because you're still 22 years old, you're still, still a kid. Yeah, you're, yeah, still, you're, a kid. you're still a kid. You, you can say whatever you want about and, and it. Both of us being north of 50, we can call them kids. Yeah, well, you're, well, you're new to 50, <laughs> so I'm you're being very good. Yeah, yeah, you're new I'm to 50. To, I'm trying to not to give away yeah, the age difference. Yeah, yeah, that's calls. okay. No, that's okay. Yeah, no, you're doing all right, mister. All right. Uh, well, sorry, i got to say, this is probably the best shape I've seen you in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I appreciate that. I mean, uh, you know, I'm, uh, we were talking earlier when we first got together here uh, before we got on air 
when the last time we saw each other, and we figure it's probably been 20, 25 years, and the bones I remember was probably in that 250, 260 range, I was the last time. Well, that that was uh, that that was the roller hockey years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah the roller hockey years. Yeah, you know, didn't really call that a sport. <laughs> no, well, it was, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we took yeah fun. we took full advantage of it. I yeah. mean, placing eighteen guys in. Uh, well, it started off in Toronto, but in, in South Beach and Miami, as you know about it, it's uh, you know. We were there for, for a good time, not a long time, <laughs> right? Uh, talking about memories, I, I'd like to remember some of the memories. Yeah. <laughs> probably uh, forgot more. Yeah, no kidding. Ah, hey, it, it is Party where we are today, up, but right? of course Party it was. Up. Yeah, great, great times. Yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> right? It's, it just, it's gone by so quickly. Yeah, and there's, right. there, but it was, I mean, that's all part of our journey. It, it's part of the journey. It's part of rounding us out. It's part of who we become now. Uh, you know, so you go through your hockey career, um, you know, you mentioned alcoholism. Mm -hmm. um, it's a tough thing. I've seen a lot of, mm -hmm. a lot of guys that, and, and I'm sure you know as well, um, without naming names, that could have had unbelievable careers. Mm -hmm. Injury aside, your story may be a little bit different. Maybe, you know, the, the injuries led to it. Who knows? Mm -hmm. um, but I know a lot of guys that didn't have the injuries, alcohol got the best of them. Yeah, you know, yeah. The devil in the bottle, right? Yeah, yeah, m m most definitely. I mean, and there were some other things involved too. I mean, obviously, I was living in pain for for a lot of years, so there was. Um, I, I mean, you know, painkillers were very much a part of the game too. I mean, um, but before you know it, that takes over your life as well, um, and it led me down to a life that, um, you know. It's, I'm very, very fortunate because I'm sober today and been sober for, you know, for a long, long time. And I've got to work in the field now and I work with, with, with people who are struggling with, with their own demons. Um, um, it's, it's part of my life. It's part of my journey. I'm proud of who I am today. It's also given me a chance to figure out who Graham Bonner is today because I just assumed that I was Graham Bonner, the hockey player. Then all of a sudden when you can't play hockey, who's Graham Bonner? It's a very interesting thing, and I, you know, I um, let, let's talk about that for a minute, if you mm -hmm. don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'll, I'll share sort of my experience. Certainly, didn't have the notoriety that that Graham had, but you know, as as a young Canadian kid who had a little bit of talent and tasted a little bit of hockey success, you always identified yourself as Rob the hockey player or Graham the hockey player, and you know each his journey somehow takes you to a path where you're no longer the hockey player. Mm -hmm. But then the rest of your life starts to go on and there's still that connection to, I'm using air quotes, the hockey player. Right. As I went into my professional career, as I you know started to get into sales and marketing, I'd be introduced as Rob, the hockey player, right? Um, and uh, you know, and uh, you know, I wasn't uh, uh, a household tough guy name. I did a little bit of battling in the minor leagues, mm -hmm. and people catch wind of those stories. And it's Rob, the fighter, the hockey player. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to learn, or was trying to not be that guy. That's not who I wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Although I still was trying to figure out who I was then. Right. That seemed to open up a lot of doors for me. And it engaged conversations, maybe helped me sell a few deals. Mm -hmm. What was your experience as we talk about this? How did you let go of that? How did you transition? Well, that was part of my journey in recovery. I mean, that was one of the biggest things that um, that I had to to 
to battle. I mean, um, you know, putting down alcohol and drugs, um, learning about myself, getting, getting involved in a 12-step program, letting go of my past, finding out who Graham was, um, learning to love myself again, um, um, all about my journey in life. I mean, it was surrendering to the, uh, the disease of addiction that, that I do have. Um, I'm very, very fortunate today to um, have matured and grown spiritually as, as a person today. That's something that I hold very dearly. Today, when I get up in the morning, I try to be kind and gentle and be the best person that, that I can be. And that's something that I hold very, very dearly. Um, I'm not only a father, I'm a grandfather today. I'm a good son today. I'm still getting over that one. Yeah, yeah, look awesome, twins. Man. Yeah, it's yeah. Amazing. You're no kidding. I got good I, for you. Yeah, I mean the things that are important in life, the things that sometimes you miss out on because you are. I mean, there's great things about moving away from home as a as a young hockey player, but you do miss out on your teen years because you're. You can say whatever you want, but playing on the OHL, you're a professional hockey player. Yeah. At a young age. For sure. So you do miss it. You gain so much, but you miss so much. But the most important thing for me today was um, was removing the shame and saying, you know, you're not a bad person. I had to learn to love my, myself again. Um, and I mentioned, hey, I'm a good son today. I'm working on being a better person every single day that I get up. Let's talk about that for a second, because one of the things that I've started to do in my life over the last, you know, I've sort of came to realization, you know, we all have pivotal points, right? You're battling alcoholism and, and addiction. Um, about five years ago, as I was going through my, you know, sort of the end of my professional sales career, I was not the end of it, I was in the middle of it, going through a divorce, I was in a motorcycle accident, and I spent 40 days on my back. Right. And I had these come to Jesus moments. I had a lot of time to think about, you know, who am I? What am I doing? Where is my life going? I'm going through this transition in a marriage. I've got two young kids. Um, it, you know, it, it, it gives you a lot of time to think. And, I, and, you know, so I started a morning routine. And, it, you know, now it involves gratitude. It mm -hmm. involves a little bit of journaling. Mm -hmm. It involves working out. It involves... Uh, you know, mental and physical side of becoming more in touch with myself and finding out who is Rob Blondin, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm at this crossroads at 50 mm -hmm. where, um, you know, uh, I'm enjoying this kind of conversation, I'm enjoying the mm -hmm. use of social media, mm -hmm. I've got this platform, I don't know if I want to go back into the corporate world. It's not calling my name anymore. Isn't that a beautiful thing? It, it is. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I'm really okay with it. And there's these social pressures from parents, mm -hmm. from, you know, quote unquote friends, mm -hmm. uh, and, and other people, uh, ex-wives, yeah. <laughs> that are, are like, well, you need a job yeah. and you have to have income. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, I'm in an okay position now. So. You know, how, what is that, you, you know, tell a little bit about where you're at today, how you transitioned, and, you know, you talk about how you're okay with yourself, and, mm -hmm. and you know, so talk about your morning routine, what you're doing, and how you're giving back. Well, there's a lot of similarities, because, I mean, when you were just speaking there, Robert, it, it sounds a, little, a lot about my life in recovery, and, and anyone who knows anything about addiction and, and being in, 
involved or living that life. I mean, my day starts at four o'clock in the morning. Um, I get up and I'm at the gym at five o'clock in the morning. I start work at 6.30, 6.45 in the morning. And my gratitude comes from, I've been working in the field of addictions and mental health for 20 years. I get the opportunity to go in and, and sit down and talk to people who are going through the same struggles that, um, that I went through in life. And um, I'm spiritually connected that way um, because that's who Graham Bonner is today. And I have a lot of gratitude for that. Somebody gave me a gift a long, long time ago. I never thought when I was four or five year, years old playing lacrosse and hockey that I was going to grow up and work as an addictions counselor or work with people with, with trauma. That's a heck of a gift that people put that much trust in your life. I've had a couple of clients that they, they find out with social media that they say, oh, you played hockey and I, I went home and Googled you and you know, blah, blah, blah. And one of the kindest things that I heard, and, and it comes up again and again, and, uh, but one thing that sticks out of my client says, I don't know what you were like about as a hockey player. I don't know anything about sports. Um, he said, but you couldn't have been a better hockey player than you are as a person and a counselor. And stuff like that touches... How powerful is that? Yeah, how powerful is that? Because uh, we associate ourselves to what we are. Exactly. Not who we are. Yeah, it's, it, it, and so many people do that. That um, I'll get a phone call. Like the, the other day I was shit, sitting in Shoppers Drug Mart and next client's walking in. I haven't seen him in nine years. Um, he's back with his... He just got married. He's spreading the word meeting he's speaking at his 12-step meeting um, <coughs> I gave him an assignment nine years ago because he hadn't spoken to his son in five years he wrote his son a letter and one of the biggest things they were going to do was going to go to an Our Lady Peace concert and he wrote this in a letter and at this particular time he couldn't give it to his son because his son wasn't even talking to him he came up sat down beside me and said we finally made it to that Our Lady Peace concert my son got married I'm getting married Wow. wow. I'm walking in Niagara Falls a, a year ago and I bump into an ex-client. He's there with his family. I mean, those gifts, um, it just warms my heart. It's, uh, you don't get that satisfaction from any scoring corporate goals. job, scoring goals, scoring five, five and two, you know, getting ten in two nights or whatever it may be, um, any high that any drug is going to give you. Um, you know, when Metallica jumps on stage, that's pretty impressive. Um, but not that feeling that you get when you see somebody getting their life back because I didn't have my life or my family there. So it sounds like you, the, you know, this gift of being of service, you know, going through what you had gone through, having that experience, moving into a field, like you said, as a four-year-old, you don't think about being an addictions counselor. Yeah. You know, you're thinking about being a hockey player. Right. And now the, the biggest gift that you get is not on the, on the rink through a goal or mm -hmm. hearing your name over the PA, but, but how you've affected somebody else's life through the gift that you've been given. Yeah, it's pretty special, right? It's pretty special. Yeah, it's very cool. I mean, I mean those gifts come um, every single day. It's, um, I mean, the, the gifts come when my daughter phones me on the way home or she sends me a video <coughs> of, of McKinley and Mason, my, you know, my grandkids, or I go home and, you know, have a laugh with my mom or, you know, 
have a chuckle with um, the relationship that I'm in with today. You know, I'm in a relationship with somebody that I had a date with 41 years ago that's come back into my life, you know. Um, and I'm a pretty lucky guy, you know. I'm, I'm a good son today. I'm a good father. I'm a good grandfather. And I'm going to be biased. I think I'm a pretty good boyfriend too, right? Um, and that puts a smile on my face because near the end of my addiction, I didn't want to be alive. I was afraid to be alive. We talked about living our life in fear. You know, right. how, how are you going to be that person? Um, our disease is so fear-based. Um, I get yeah, I get fearful today I get about certain things, but as long as I get up in the morning and do the best that I can do, and I keep saying that being kind and gentle and being the best person that I can, that's a good start to the day for Graham. That's, uh, that's pretty powerful, man. It's, it's very, very cool to sit across yeah. from an old friend who I haven't spoken to in 25 years and hear that kind of commentary. Yeah. It, it reaffirms so many things that are going on in my life, and, and I, we were having this conversation earlier, how that I wish there was that opportunity to go back and tell my 15 or 20-year-old self to be open to these kind of things, mm -hmm. the kind of gifts to look for, mm -hmm. you know, the, the kind of ways to change your your attitude and your, your mindset to be able to receive these things. And it's not about, you know, um, the career that you choose, because I think sometimes our path is already chosen for us. Yeah. We just don't know it. Yeah, but, but, yeah. There's some good times and there's some bad times, right? I mean, when you think back, I mean, there is um, a, a lot of entitlement with sports too. I mean, it's not. There's a lot of really good memories with oh, com camaraderie. Yeah. I mean, with with some we really really special. We wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for sports. I, I mean, we haven't spoke to each other in what 25, 20 years, whatever it is. And as soon as I seen you, it came out. We gave each other a hug. It was just like, wow, this is where we're supposed to be today. Absolutely. I mean, sports brings people together like nothing else, in my humble opinion. I mean, you know, racing down the street on St. Catherine Street at four in the morning. Um, I'm not going to name the other Montreal Canadian. I was with with a cop for the next one, and we're drag racing on a Sunday night because we were allowed to do that with police. You know, <laughs> I mean, who gets an opportunity to to, to do that? Yeah. You know. Um, Stealing a Zamboni out of the end of a of a certain arena and driving down the main street, you know, with you know nothing but your Kodiaks and your toque on and taking a spin around the block. I mean, that's all fun yeah. stuff, you great know. Memories. They're, they're great memories, you know. And there's so many stories like that without oh, incriminating right. any other people. I won't name but, their names, but, but I mean, that's but, a whole but other the, yeah, yeah, that's another <laughs> podcast together. But I mean, that's all part of our journey, yeah. you know. And those friendships, those bonds, those goals. Those smiles, those cries, those bus trips, um, the pain, the love, um, it's all part of our journey. And without those, we probably wouldn't be sitting here having this great conversation that we are today. Absolutely. Right? Well, sports does that. Yeah. I also think the universe works in a funny way. Well, word. Right? Word. I, yeah. uh, I've become a true believer in you get, you get back what you put out there, mm -hmm. right? Positive or negative, the universe doesn't discriminate. Well, and part of my journey has been coming to that realization. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I've, I've gone through some pretty dark times, mm -hmm. not so much with addiction personally mm -hmm. and professionally. And when I look back now at those dark times and I think about what was I thinking about? What was going through my mind? What occupied my 
my thoughts. Mm -hmm. They were negative thoughts. They were dark things. Mm -hmm. and, and that's how I lived those days. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until I was able to take a step back from that and realize that I was drawing this into my life. Mm -hmm. I brought this on. Mm -hmm. And it stopped becoming a finger pointing exercise. Mm -hmm. And I looked in the mirror and I owned every action that I took, mm -hmm. positive or negative. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, so I've got a young son and a daughter. And one of the things I'm trying to teach them is just being accountable. Mm -hmm. Own your feelings, own your actions, mm -hmm. have a good attitude, own your day. Most, most definitely. Most definitely. It's well said. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it, I think what, uh, there's a spiritual connection today, just with the conversation that, that we're having. Um, it, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, it's been awesome, buddy. Yeah, for I'm sure. So glad we got I to can't, do this again. I, I can't wait for part two. Yeah, be, you know we can sit here and talk all day. I'm, I think yeah. we're both being mindful of time and. Uh, yeah, we have been mindful. He's got a hair appointment. He's got to get to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Three o'clock. You know how it's only my hairdresser knows my hair, right? <laughs> Anyways, bones. Yeah, let's uh, do this again. This, this, yeah, was, this was great, Rob. You're, 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 awesome. you're a good friend and a special person. Um, and I wish you nothing but the best with this. You're a first class dude. I appreciate that. It uh, means so much coming right. from an old friend like you. Yeah. Uh, I wish you continued luck on your journey. Thank you. And I'm, I'm glad we're able to reconnect. And I look forward to uh, spending some more time together. It was, it was an we're, honor. We're not going to cheers on beers anymore. No, I've I, been off it. And, yeah, uh, I've been so off it for a long time. I've been off it for a long time. I wouldn't even know how to take a cap <laughs> off a bottle. We used to buy. Off. <laughs> yeah, or, or use your eye or something. Yeah. I, I wouldn't even know how to take a cap off. Are they, do they still use twist offs? I, think, do they, uh, I don't know what the, which, I think there's twist offs. It depends what your brand is, yeah, right? No I mean, in, the old, the, in the old days, you'd, you'd you know the, the old whiskey bottles. You take the top <laughs> off and you throw the top or the what? cap away. I mean, what, what, you, what, 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 what did for? you need the cap for? You know, like who puts the cap on? What's wrong with you? Yeah, right. And you don't mix it. No. <laughs> Who does that? Yeah. You're soft. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, you just brought back a flood of memories. I think I know where we were the last time we were together. Oh, <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, okay. All right, part two coming up. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Graham Bonner, it's been a pleasure. Thank you again. Love and you. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed uh, today's podcast. Uh, please tune in again. And um, uh, if you get a chance, look up Graham. He's doing some fantastic things. Graham Howkin. People find you if they need you, or they want to just inquire about you. Facebook, uh, face, Facebook. You can reach out. Um, it's you know, I, I just do the best you can. Be the best person. Um, be kind and gentle, and be honest with yourself, and, and you're going to be okay. You know what? You you jumped the gun on me, but great last words. I was going to say, any final thoughts? Any final thoughts? Um, I just want to thank you for uh, you know I think I'm, I'm your first guest and you, you said my first guest, first guest and, and, and I was uh, I was humbled when you said when you started this that you were going to uh, you know it, it's been a long well there was years when I used to be invited then there's years when we weren't sure and then there's years that we would we, we would invite bones as, as you know for entertainment but now I, I know I'm being invited for the right Absolutely. reasons and that's uh, that's a special little, thing. Little I, tidbit for the listeners and I shared this with you earlier. When I thought about putting this podcast together and I thought about the theme and I came up with Mindset Body Bank and what this was going to entail and the kind of people I wanted to have on, uh, even though Graham and I haven't spoken or communicated much in the 20 or 25 years, he was the first person I thought about having on. It only makes sense you're my first guest. I'm shaking your hand, buddy. 
great to see you. Two minutes for looking so good as we say, right, right. Go back at you. <laughs> All right. Bones, thanks again, and uh, have a great day. Enjoy your uh, time with your hairdresser. Yeah, thank you. Gotcha. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in, and uh, hopefully you um, you enjoyed uh, the interview with uh, Graham today. If you did, please give it a like, uh, review, share it with your friends. Uh, really appreciate that. Tell everybody about Mindset Body Bank. Uh, I got more coming. Thanks again. Have a great, great day.